The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. The four-way global M&A battle involving big media personalities and cricket takes a page from American football. These are the topics we'll be discussing on this week's edition of The Views Room, a weekly conversation among breaking news columnists about the ups and downs of the world of finance. I'm Jennifer Saba. So there's a big old-fashioned fight going on for parts of Rupert Murdoch's empire. It involves some huge personalities and egos, but does any of it make sense? Here to help me sort this all out, is Breaking Views U.S. editor John Foley. John, welcome to the program. Hi, Jen. So let me set this up very quickly. Um, in the fall, Rupert Murdoch decided he wanted to sell parts of his company, 21st Century Fox. Disney agreed to buy it. Comcast didn't like that, swooped in, made an offer. Now Disney came back and made another offer, and we're looking at right now $70 billion. Um, that could change at any moment. But here we are these two companies fighting over the, you know, big pieces of Fox. It's basically gone from zero to berserk yeah, in zero. 60 seconds. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if you think about, I, I was, I, it's amazing to think that this all started in 2016, right? So this all happened when Fox, Rupert Murdoch's Fox, started trying to buy out the bits it doesn't own of Sky, which is just this kind of little satellite operator in Europe and now we've got, as you say, four gigantic companies all scrapping to try and become the big boss of the media world. Right. So we have Disney's Bob Iger, Comcast, Brian Roberts, Rupert Murdoch, um, James Murdoch, who's actually the chair of Sky. Um, Just to add extra complexity. Yeah, to add extra complexity to it all. The financial sense of this, I think, is been out the window for a while now. I mean, in terms of, you know, can they make this work? So so now let's talk about the strategy, the actual, you know, should these companies be fighting over Fox? And what does it mean? Well, I think one of the things that, that again, is a lot, there's so much about this whole merger fight that is alarming. But when you think about just the numbers that we've gone through just in the last few days, so we had, um, you know, we had Disney offering $52 billion for bits of Fox, for the kind of international bits and its kind of movie studios. That then suddenly went up to, you know, $65 billion, which is what Comcast was offering. And now we've, we've gone up to $71 billion, which Disney's offering. Is anyone really thinking about strategy anymore? Or has it just become like when my dog sees a squirrel and just runs out in front of a car because it just has to have the squirrel <laughs> and doesn't care what happens? That's what it feels like to me. Now, these are smart people behind um, all of this. But... I just want to point out a couple of things. One is that Disney's share price has not been at its high. It was about $121. This was in August 2015. So it hasn't it hasn't gotten back up there. And part of the reason why it is it started falling was because they said that fewer people are watching ESPN. So it basically which is, hinted, sports network, which is right, their which huge is, yeah. sports network. It's a juggernaut. It pulls in a ton of operating profit for Disney. So that suggests that people are cutting the cord, that there are some structural problems at Disney, which is an amazingly run company, one of the biggest U.S. media companies, and they're having problems. So I don't know how adding more content and movie studios, which is effectively what they're doing, and more cable channels is going to solve their really big problem right now, which is they don't have an effective direct-to-consumer streaming offer 
along the lines of Netflix. And I don't think these deals are going to help them get there. But when you look at all of the big media deals that we've been following and you've been writing about recently, you have AT&T buying Time Warner, you have the either Comcast buying bits of Fox or Disney buying bits of Fox. What strikes me about all three of those is that none of them has a really clear pure financial logic. When you think about companies buying rivals, they cut costs, they become bigger at doing what they already did before. None of these deals answer that problem. They all seem to be based on a kind of vague fear that customers are doing something different and new and they're a bit behind the curve, like as you say, they're cutting the cord. Fear that Netflix is coming in and making everything more complicated. Or what I wonder in particular in this case is whether it's about cutting off a competitor, making sure you know, we have to get Fox at any cost because if we don't get it, Disney's going to get it and we can't let that happen. Yeah, and and I think that goes back to the egos, right? So um, Brian Roberts tried to buy Disney in 2004, 2005, and it was a hostile bid for it. And his the, the shares in Comcast tanked. It He kind of slunk away. And so I feel like there's a lot of emotion involved in this. And there's always emotion in M&A deals, but I think this is, you know, in particular, uh, has a lot of that in play here because I don't think he wants Disney to get these assets because if they get bigger, that's going to be very difficult for Comcast. And Comcast has followed Disney's playlist uh, since. I mean, they went off and bought NBC Universal. They started their own theme parks. They went off and bought DreamWorks Studio. Um, so... You could see, like, how this is now becoming, like, wait a minute, why are you doing this? And the other thing is, instead of talking about the cost savings, covering the premiums, blah, 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 what I'm hearing more and more about these deals is, oh, don't worry about our leverage position. We're going to jack up our debt, but we'll get it back down which is also super dangerous, I think. I think I've, I've looked at loads of hostile takeovers in the bajillion years that I've been at Breaking Views. And one of, the th- one of the patterns that you often see is that the bidder goes in knowing that they're going to need to pay more. Um, so they, you know, they come along, they make a hostile offer, and the target says, this isn't good enough. And then the, the bidder says, oh, no, it's fine. Look, it's great. It's, it compares it to lots of other market valuations. But they know they're going to have to come up with an extra sort of 4 or 5%. And they've got that in their back pocket. And they also know that the cost savings or the synergies are going to be higher than they've said. It's very measured, typically. It's all very measured. Yeah. And, a, and a great example of this would be Anheuser-Busch being taken over, uh, uh, buying SAB Miller, which mm-hmm. is the big, two big brewing companies. Price, the price kind of kept escalating, but they knew the savings were going to be immense and it was fine. This is absolutely not that. That's what's so amazing to me is that um, the, you know, this new offer, the $71 billion, is like more than a third higher than what, Disney was offering before. Like that's not just they kept some change in the back pocket. That's that you know common sense has totally left the building. And already, as you'd written, the cost savings really didn't look like they were going to be up to much. So I mean, one of the things that also seems to be left in all of this is that let's whoever gets it, Comcast or Disney, um, they're going to be left with a huge integration that they're going to have to do. These things are never easy. In fact, when Comcast acquired NBC Universal, they were pretty frank about how difficult it is to integrate two different cultures. And and we're going to see that problem, you know, with AT&T and Time Warner, and we're definitely going to see it with Disney or Comcast, whoever assumes the Fox, you know, FX and National Geographic cable networks and movie studios and whatnot. So they're going to be distracted trying to 
put this merger together. And, you know, meanwhile, Netflix and Apple and everybody else, they're not involved in any of this bidding. And they're just going off and signing Oprah Winfrey and the Obamas and collecting a bunch of subscribers. And just they just keep they keep on trucking. And these I'd other rather com- have Oprah than Sky. <laughs> You'd rather have Oprah than Sky. Give them a choice. I mean, if you if you <laughs> if you're trying to get ahead in media, you yeah. sign the Obamas and you sign Oprah. Yeah. You don't pay a multi-billion-dollar premium for a company with very little overlap. Yeah. So I mean, own. this this sort of bodes like this is going to be a problem. Is this going to be the Time Warner AOL of our time? Well, I. Maybe AT&T and Time Warner will be the AOL Time Warner of our time. Um, I don't know. I mean, but I, I think, you know, it's it's going to be very difficult for these companies, I think, to, to seamlessly integrate everything quickly and at the same time take on this whole new way of thinking. And they're going to have to cannibalize their own business. And, um, you know, are they prepared to do that? Well, this also makes me think that whoever wins this battle for Fox um, the the price they're going to pay is so high that the real winner is whoever doesn't win. You know what I mean? Yeah. If Comcast, yeah. like if if Disney ends up walking away with this, Comcast will have its revenge because Disney's going to pay so much. So so much, yeah. They work. jacked up the price. They weren't going to let Disney just walk off with this, you know. So yeah, Rupert Murdoch really ends up winning in the end. Rupert Murdoch is always the winner. All right, John, uh, we'll be following this as we say. Stay tuned. India's Premier League is starting to take on the form of some of the top sporting franchises around the world. Hallmarks like flashy games, tippy player salaries, and increasing sports rights costs are basically happening. So I have on the line Yuna Galani from Mumbai to walk me through this. I don't know anything about uh, cricket, but maybe you can talk about how um, this is just a rising sport and it's starting to take on this, the, the form like the NFL and, and soccer and whatnot. Sure, Jen. It's great to be here. All you really need to know is that cricket is like religion in India. Like football is in the in the yeah, United exactly. States. Yeah, um, exactly. And and what they've done here is is they we've got a seven we've got a seven week long annual tournament which is now in its eleventh year, and it's held in the hottest, most humid, sweatiest months of the year. And top players are now <laughs> coming in from around the world to compete in this. It's a, it's a fast format of cricket. It's called 2020, but essentially it means that the matches last about four hours instead of a full day or a week as they would in the international test format. And what's, you know, what's really amazing okay. is that, you know, the tickets for these tiny seats at this, in these like alcohol-free stadiums, you know, they start from around $30. You know, that's not cheap in a country uh-huh. where about a fifth of the population, you know, live below the poverty line. But, and, and one of the things that jumped out at me is just like how, how many people tune into these games? I mean, you had a staggering statistic in your uh, recent column about 450 million people tuned in to watch the competition. That's yeah, incredible. I mean, that's like over the whole seven week period. But I mean, you know, it means at some point, like, you know, about half the country tuned in to watch this competition. And, yeah. and don't forget, in India, people are still buying TVs as well as transitioning to watch stuff on their phones. So this audience is growing. But it's, I mean, you know, if we compare like the final of the IPL with the final of the Super Bowl, then the numbers really become quite striking. You know, we it looks like 170 million people watched the final of the Indian Premier League, or about 56 million on a time-weighted basis. But the really staggering number is the fact that 
you know, this audience is growing. It's growing 43% or something like that, you know, year on year. And at the same time, as you would know, you know, the Super Bowl audience is shrinking. I think they just had lowest yeah. audience, what is it, since 2009? So, I mean, you know, like, I think that's the really amazing thing. So this is a competition, you know, there's plenty of room still to grow. And if they can continue growing like this, it will be more watch than some of the biggest competitions in the world. So that's really interesting uh, because I think that the National Football League, which is basically the uh, responsible for the football here in the United States, um, it's, I wouldn't say it's on the downside, but it is, it, there are, we're starting to see some cracks in a franchise that has effectively just ruled the sports world for for years and years and years for decades almost and and it is interesting as as you mentioned that the super bowl uh, didn't attract as many people as it has in past super bowls and and this is a big big problem and and even the season franchise ratings they've been down a second year in a row which you know again this just hasn't happened in the past. Right. And, you know, this is against, you know, uh, the fact that you know, these broadcasters are paying enormous amounts of money to, for the rights to broadcast these games. So it's interesting that, you know, the IPL is kind of on the rise where in some ways the NFL is, you know, kind of going, I think the, the trend is heading in the yeah, other direction. Yeah, and I think that's all ultimately going to feed in to the cost of the rights as you're saying and and you know like what's amazing yeah. about star uh, about the ipl is that the broadcaster which is star india which is part of rupert murdoch's 21st century fox empire right at least at least for a little at least bit for a little bit longer you know they, they yeah. paid about eight million dollars per match for the rights you know over a period of five years and I, I think it's a bit hard to compare the nfl because i think the way they do the numbers is a bit difficult to kind of stack it up but like if you look at the yeah. Premier League, that's soccer in the UK, you know, Sky, which is also part of the Murdoch Empire for a little while longer, um, paid about $12 million per match for the domestic rights for that competition. So, you know, if you think that the IPL hasn't finished kind of growing its audience and that the rights will continue, the cost inflation of the rights will continue to rise as they push potentially like further out of the Indian market into overseas markets and broaden the reach of this competition, then, you know, you're going to get yeah. like on par with broadcast rights not in not too long. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that that is um, another interesting thing because it, there does seem room to grow here that is just not in India. It would be outside of India as well. Um, and, and I would think the potential for that is enormous. I mean, the reason the ad rights, is, you know, the, the broadcast rights is so valuable is because of the ad time. So like, you know, you get about 47 minutes of advertising in IPL. I think that's roughly about the same as what you would get in the Super Bowl. So, you know, they've kind of structured it similarly. They've learned their lessons. They've looked towards the West and they've worked out what works. And, you know, they really cram the adverts into these things. And so, you know, Amazon Ugh. and all these other companies are saving their best adverts for this prime spot. You know, this is like the part of advertising in IP, you know, in India that is seen as like totally recession proof. So the ad revenues have enormous potential too. But the most interesting thing for me, and I think for anybody who isn't even a sports fan, is the salaries. I mean, I don't know how much people get paid in the NFL, but Millions. millions, millions and millions. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, the most expensive yeah. players in the IPL are getting paid the same amount. 
So Virat Kohli, he's the Indian captain, and there's an, also another guy who's an English all-rounder called Ben Stokes. You know, they get about two to two and a half million dollars just for seven weeks of work. And, you know, wow. the most expensive player in the British Premier League is a German guy who plays for Arsenal called Messer Ozil. And in the same amount of time, he would have only earned around $3 million. So these guys are coming into India for this competition and raking it in. And, you know, the tournament's founder, who is sort of like now disgraced the, um, and sort of living in exile in London, uh, he reckons that, you know, if you remove the team salary caps, then, you know, these players could be earning $2 million per match. I mean, these are just totally insane numbers for a country like India where you know, as as we discussed earlier, you know, incomes are still very, average incomes are still very, very low. Um, so I yeah. think it's like a genuinely great Indian growth story. Well, it sounds like it. It sounds like they are taking a page right at, from the NFL. Um, Yuna, thank you very much for joining us on the program today. Thank you, Jen. That's our show for this week. I'd like to thank all my guests, John Foley and Yuna Galani. And hats off to our producers, Andrew D'Antonio, Ross Shoulder, Freddie Joyner, and Ben Kellerman. Our final thanks go to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Check us out every day at breakingviews.com and subscribe to The Views Room on iTunes. Don't forget to tune in next week for another edition.